Just because a person is not kneeling or worshipping some sort of strange deity does not mean that idolatry has not been committed. Idolatry is anything or anyone that is put ahead of the Lord, even those things that God has given as blessings. Yes, blessings can be turned into idols. Your job or your career can be an idol if they take precedent over the Lord. Your family and your, your loved ones can become idols if you put them ahead of the Lord. Your children can become idols, and so on. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Today we'll be talking about when people depart from the Lord. The world in general promotes and supports those things that go against the Lord. In today's world, good is called evil and evil good. Many people, even so-called believers of God, think that everything will be fine here and now and later when sinning against the Lord. But that is not the case. When a person or a group of people choose to deliberately sin against God, nothing good can come out of that. Sooner or later, things will go wrong. Everything at the beginning seems well and good, but the end will be bad if there is no repentance from evil. Today's message is inspired in the book of Judges, chapter 4. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Blessed Lord, Heavenly Father, Mighty God, Hallowed and glorified and exalted be your name, O Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord, for who you are and for what you do. For there is no one like you, Lord God. Thank you, O Lord, Heavenly Father, that you don't treat us according to our sins, but that you are merciful and gracious, O Lord, and that you show love to us, O Lord, despite our shortcomings, despite our sins, Heavenly Father. I pray, Holy God, in the name of Jesus, that you may please forgive my sins and my wrongs. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you may always remember us in your mercy and in your grace. I pray, O Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you may help us, O Lord, to be able to be sensitive to your word, to the promptings of your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Help us, O Lord, to have a humble and contrite heart before you, O Lord. I pray, O God, in the name of Jesus, that you help us not to stray away from you, O Lord. But help us, O Lord, to always look to get closer and closer to you, for only you have life. I give you thanks and I praise you, O God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's key passage reading can be found in the book of Judges, chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, and dwelt in Hershereth Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had nine hundred chariots of iron, and for twenty years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lebedoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take you with ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. 
And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called Sebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command. And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, and the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanamain, which is beside Kedesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him, from Harasheth Nagoyim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from the Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin king of Azor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened the jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say, No. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera, dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. We read in today's story what happened when the people of Israel did evil before the sight of God. What evil could they have done for God to have sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Hanan? For starters, we need to understand the character of the Lord so we understand what happened. God doesn't just allow for things to go wrong or take steps in bringing about discipline at the very first moment of wrongdoing. The Bible says, for instance, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And so God is not easily taken to a place where he needs to allow for harsh things to happen in the interest of helping people understand that they need to turn away from their wrongs. This is where many people misunderstand and or misinterpret the Lord in that he is a vengeful God and that he is quick to react to wrongdoing. The other thing we need to keep in mind is that we are sinful people, even when we have come to Christ. The difference between a justified believer 
and someone that has not yet come to a real and genuine faith in Christ is that the justified believer has at least repented and converted from all sins. At least that is the way justification happens, not just by professing some faith in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we are made perfect at that moment. The truth is, is that we will sin until the day we die, until the time we are transformed in our entirety. So if we understand that, then our reality is that we sin when we don't even fully understand what we're doing. We sin all of the time. So if God is merciful and gracious and we are sinning all of the time, even when we don't fully understand when we're doing wrong, then why does he then allow for harsh things to happen? There is a big difference between sinning and the practice of sin. We just established that even as followers of Christ, we still sin. But the big difference is when there is a willful and purposeful sinning, when a person sins against God knowingly, but without any fear and respect for the Lord. It's the sin that involves rebellion. And the sins that Israel had committed involved following other gods and doing all those things that are related to following those other gods. When people turn to idols, all kinds of other evil usually follow. And if we understand that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, that means that Israel did sin for quite some time, for years actually, and they did it knowingly. There is ultimately a responsibility for the truth. God gives people the opportunity for great and immeasurable blessing. But if God's good favor is not appreciated, then there is an inherent responsibility with being exposed to his truth and rejecting it willfully. And of course, what could be more offensive than searching after other gods by putting other things before God? And since God is the greatest being in all existence, then whatever else is put ahead of him is inferior. That is just adding insult to injury. That's what people do when they have idols in their lives and they pursue them willfully, knowing full well that what is wrong and right. Think about it this way. And God uses his example so we can understand. Marriage is a sacred institution created by God between one man and one woman. That's what Jesus even reiterated by making it very clear what constitutes a lack of loyalty. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is the standard that God has for marriage and how two people should respect each other because this goes both ways. And so when two people get married, they both know full well that they're not supposed to cheat on each other. Jesus also clarified that divorce can happen when a person commits the act of adultery, going beyond lustful thoughts, where he said, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And of course, this applies to both spouses. So based on those grounds, a marriage can be broken by the offended party if there is the sexual act of adultery, of committing sexual immorality, having sex outside of the marriage. Now, how would you feel if you were married to someone and they cheated on you over and over deliberately and pretending before you that everything is okay, making like nothing is wrong? I don't think anyone would enjoy something like that, right? Well, 
God doesn't like it either. And that is what Israel did to him for years. Now, God could have broken his relationship with Israel. That would have been the fair thing to do. Because if they felt so inclined to pursue idols, then God could have said, You obviously don't need me, so let your idols help you with your enemies. When people knowingly take up idols in their heart against the Lord by putting other things first and above God, God really has no obligation to them. Quite frankly, and this is something people forget all the time, or at least they don't realize it, is that God does not owe anyone anything. He made us, and yet we have all drifted away and sinned against Him out of our own free will. And if we go back to creation, God made man. So if God made man, then what obligation is there? We have no hold on God, and God owes us nothing. In all reality, man has been unfair to God since the beginning, ever since man disobeyed God. Just think about what happened. The devil tempted man to eat of the forbidden fruit with the notion of causing man to be jealous of God, that God was keeping something from man and ultimately enticing man to be like God. That is what man found attractive and made them sin against God because both Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. What good is in that? While God made man and gave them all of creation to enjoy, their thoughts were convinced quite easily to think wrongly of God and to compete against God. They ultimately turned against God. The devil didn't make them do anything. He just tempted them. But there never was in the heart of man any consideration for the Lord for what he did for them. For not a single moment did Adam and Eve think, we can't do this to God. Look at everything we have because of Him. There was absolutely no contemplation for the Lord, nor for anything He had done for them. Not much has changed since then. Do people in general think about the wrongs they commit against the Lord? Do people think about everything they have because of Him? Is it not more common for people to judge God and to even mistrust Him and to look for other inferior things they owe nothing to in comparison to what He has done? We wouldn't even exist if it were not for the Lord. We would have absolutely nothing without Him. We live and breathe because He allows it. And despite our many sins, intentional and or undeliberate, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of man, so man could have the opportunity of eternal life as a gift. We deserve to die for our sins. We have earned that. Yet God gives us the opportunity to have immortality through Jesus Christ. For it is written, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet most people's inclinations are to sin against God, to sin against other people, and even to sin against themselves. And most people dare to judge God and to challenge God and to even hate God or make like He doesn't exist. Is that fair? Is that right? Is it even logical to turn against the greatest being in the universe when everything created points to Him and to His workmanship? Everything around us, even our own person, declares that there is a God. None of this is an accident. Nothing that exists is by chance. Everything was created and made by an extremely intelligent being that is greater than us in every way. If you look at our limitations, God has none of them. 
We are weak. God is almighty. We have limited knowledge. God knows everything. We are finite. God is infinite. We are flesh. He is spirit. We live only but a few years. God is eternal. He possesses none of our weaknesses. Yes, most people choose to ignore, challenge, disrespect, and even hate him. And then to top it off, when things don't go people's way, then they turn against him when the majority of the wrong things that are done have natural consequences all within themselves. Why do things go wrong when we sin? Because that is the structure of creation. It's like a child being angry with a parent when they burn themselves for playing with fire. Despite the many warnings the parent gave them about not to play with fire. How can a child be upset with their parent if they tried to warn them and they still went ahead and did it? When we stray away from God, when we look for things outside of God by putting other things first, it is only a natural consequence to suffer whatever happens along with that. People need to understand this. When a person or a group of people choose to abandon the Lord and sin willfully against Him, they are abandoning their own good and well-being. Nothing truly good can happen apart from the Lord. In today's passage, we read that Israel, for no good reason, because there is never a good reason, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and that the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Many would say, why did God do that? Because Israel betrayed God knowingly. And despite Israel's sin, we see God's goodness in the most sublime way. Despite Israel's betrayal, when they turned from their evil ways and cried out to him, he saw them turn from their evil because they started going to Deborah, a prophetess that served the Lord to have their actions judged. And he heard their cry and freed them. The fair and natural consequence should have been that if they looked to the idols for their guidance and even sacrificed to them to find their favor, things that did nothing for them, things they owed nothing to, and even more so, the same idols that Jabin and their people served, for God to just lead them to their own devices. The fair thing would have been for God to say, let your idols help you with your enemy, the same idols that your enemy serves and worships. Isn't that bizarre? Why look to worship something they owe nothing to? And to make it even worse for themselves, to worship the same idols their enemies worshipped. Isn't that kind of stupid? Think about it. Yet the Lord did not treat them the way they deserved. The Lord did not simply just forget about them and just let them deal with the situation they brought upon themselves. God is not unfair People are unfair with God. That's the truth. God, in fact, is truly good. Here is one truth we should always remember to help put everything in perspective, which many refer to as the golden rule. Man did not invent this. The Lord said this, for it is written, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This doesn't apply just to man. It applies to the Lord. Don't do things to God that you wouldn't like for anyone to do to you. Do you like for people to cheat on you? Do you like for people to never appreciate the things you do for them, especially when you do things in a disinterested manner? Do you like to be betrayed by the ones you love? Do you like to be substituted for something inferior and meaningless? Do you like to be hated when you offer love? Do you like for things to be thrown in your face when you give them with the best of intentions? 
Well, I'm sure no one likes any of this. Then, if you don't like it, don't do it to the Lord. Yet despite all the wrong and evil we do, even to our own selves, God responds with love. We sin, and he provided a way to have those sins forgiven. We wrong him, and he responds with mercy. We destroy, and he does not consume us like he should. And many still even dare to judge the Lord. When you really think about it, we're truly bad and evil people. Someone might say, I'm not evil. I don't do anything wrong. I'm a good person. And I would have to say, based on the Bible, that if you think that, with all due respect, you are deeply mistaken. No one is good, and we have all sinned against God in one way or another. The moment you did not look for the Lord and give him first place in your life is the moment you turned against him and substituted him for something inferior. This is what we read. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, speaking of Jesus, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Think about this. If Jesus Christ himself, the sinless one, said not to call him good, then how can anyone think that they are good? It's just not possible. And like we established before, if a person has not given the Lord first place in their life, but rather put other things ahead of him, they have committed the worst sin before the Lord, the sin of idolatry. Just because a person is not kneeling or worshiping some sort of strange deity does not mean that idolatry has not been committed. Idolatry is anything or anyone that is put ahead of the Lord, even those things that God has given as blessings. Yes, blessings can be turned into idols. Your job or your career can be an idol if they take precedent over the Lord. Your family and your, your loved ones can become idols if you put them ahead of the Lord. Your children can become idols and so on. Do you start understanding what happens? This is what Jesus said. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Are you starting to understand the whole picture? Now, does that mean that there is no room to love anyone else when we look to the love of the Lord? No. Jesus said that if we love anyone or anything more than him, the Lord must get first place. The Lord must be the priority in our lives. That if we love our family and friends, it is because it is as a result of our love for the Lord. The Lord tells husbands to love their wives as themselves. So a husband should love their wife because or as a result of their love for the Lord. But if there ever was a competition between the Lord and a spouse, the Lord should take precedent every time. This is the one of the greatest mistakes that many Christian counselors commit today. They teach husbands that you need to put your wife first and that you need to serve her like Christ served the church. That is not what the Bible says when it comes to following the Lord. Yes, a man needs to love their wife, but as a result of their love for the Lord, as in obedience to him, but a wife should never take the Lord's place in a husband's life. That is the mistake that many people do, and that's why many supposedly Christian wives turn their husbands into their servants. 
That defies the order that God established for the family. Christ is the head of the man. The man is the head of the woman. That's what the Bible says. And many make this similar mistake with the Lord. Yes, the Lord came to serve man and to even die on the cross for all mankind. But the Lord did it because he was obeying the Father, not because it was something he did for man directly. There's a big difference. And when Jesus died and rose again, he took his rightful place next to the Father. He is no longer a servant. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Ladies and gentlemen, God is not here to serve us. God was not made to serve man. God made man to serve him. That is the truth. And if we don't serve God, if we don't assume that rightful place before the Lord, then we are committing the sin of idolatry and define the whole reason for why we were created. The greatest sin problem that mankind is facing today, and it's the same sin that Israel committed in the key passage we read today, is that people think they can be unfaithful to the Lord to even disregard Him and look for inferior things and think that not only should nothing bad happen to them, but that God should take it and serve them whenever they need to without any kind of repentance or conversion from the evil that was done. That is not the way grace works by any stretch of the imagination. I heard a very well-known supposed preacher just the other day on TV say that we're going through tough times, but not to worry because that means that God will bring about greater things for us later. That is not correct. Tough times are here because of the willful rebellion of people and both the guilty and even innocent people are paying for the collective sins of the group. And there will be no mercy and no hope unless people repent and convert from their sins with all their hearts. Great sins have been committed against the Lord God Almighty. Very unfair things have been done to Him. And even though people should just be dismissed by God, the Lord is allowing for difficult things to happen with the hope that people will turn from their sinful ways and come back to Him. That is what He did with Israel and that is what he is doing with many parts of the world today. The majority of the people in the world know that there is a God and that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that following the Lord brings about eternal life. But instead of embracing that truth, most people in the world have knowingly rejected that truth and would rather glorify sin, the very thing that brings about physical and eternal death, than glorify God and search for the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people want for God to uphold and support them in their sin. And that is never going to happen. And if this rebellion against God continues, things will not improve, but rather they will continue to worsen as we draw closer and closer to the end times. The end is coming, my friends, but it will come even faster unless large groups of people that know the truth of God turn away from their sinful ways by repenting and converting from their sins, by serving the one true God, and to do just as the word says. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. 
This is the first commandment. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to experience God's grace, there must be repentance and conversion from all sins. But likewise, if you want to experience life without the Lord in it, then continue following the idols of your heart and see how those fail you, especially when you stand before the Lord God Almighty someday in judgment, because every single person will give an account before the Lord. For it is written, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. If we say that we believe in the Lord, then let us for our own sake try to treat him as the Lord we say he is. Nothing truly good can happen apart from the Lord. When a person or group of people choose to knowingly and willfully abandon the Lord, only evil can be expected. Most people think that pushing God away will create an atmosphere where they can do whatever they want, but without any consequences, and that everything will be fine. But that is far from reality. This is another spiritual law that many people don't understand. There is no such thing as a neutral vacuum in the spiritual world. In other words, when people choose to take God out of the picture, there isn't this void left where people reign. There are two spiritual kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the dark dominion of Satan. When a person or group of people try to take God out of things, they are inviting Satan and sin to reign, to fill the void that God leaves, because God leaves when people push him out. He doesn't stay where he's not wanted. And absolutely nothing good can happen when Satan and sin reign. There is no party like many people think there is. Satan is not your friend. Sin does not bring about happiness. Everything may seem well and good at first, but the consequence of sin is death. Just as the word says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It doesn't say that the beginning is death. It says that the end is the way of death. Everything seems fun and great at first when going away from the Lord, but the true consequences of the sin of rebellion, of idolatry, are not seen until the end, until the point where there is no turning back. This is where many people make the mistake of thinking that nothing bad happens to those that defy God. Just as it is written, you have said it is useless to serve God, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. That's what many people believe. But in the end, everything catches up with people, especially in the day of judgment. So the concept is quite simple. If a person chooses to deliberately go away from the Lord, they will endure the greatest of consequences if they don't turn away from their sinful ways before it's too late. Likewise, if a person repents and converts before the Lord and looks to love the Lord above all things, they will find the greatest reward and blessing where it truly counts in eternity. This world and everything in it will pass someday. That is guaranteed. 
But whoever loves the Lord with all of their heart will attain eternal life and eternal reward, which is also guaranteed by God himself. When we put the Lord first above all things, we will find his favor in the most important moment when we stand before him. My own personal hope is to hear the Lord say to me someday, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. If you put things on a scale, which has more value than you? Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, please forgive us for our sins. Lord, we do so many things wrong, all of the time. And Lord God, all I can do is just lean on your mercy. We need your mercy, we need your grace. I give you thanks, O Lord, because you are so good that you give it. But when we repent, when we turn from our sins, from our evil ways, Heavenly Father, please forgive me for my wrongs and my sins, for the evil that I still do. Heavenly Father, help us to have humble hearts before you. Help us to understand, O Lord God, what is it that we really do wrong? And help us to turn away from it, Lord. Help us, O Lord, to be able to, above all things, be fair with you, to love you, to look for you. Heavenly Father, to be able to be grateful for all of the things that you have done, that you are doing, and that you intend to do with those that love you. Lord, you are truly good in every kind of way. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand that if we live, it is because of your mercy and your grace. And Lord God, that if we find favor before you, it is because of your mercy and your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. But help us, O oh Lord, never to take that for granted. Help us, O oh Lord, never to abuse your goodness and your mercy, but to value it and to treat it the way that it should be treated, to treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. Help us to do that through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and through your word, through your Lord Jesus Christ. I give you thanks and I praise you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.